0: Okay, let's go ahead and take our Bibles out. We're gonna to open to the Gospel of John in chapter 1. So in John chapter 1 beginning verse 6 it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Now let's skip on up to verse 19. It says, And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said." I myself did not know Him, but He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. You know, I remember when we first came here about 25 years ago, we began to kind of identify who we were. Somebody even came, well, we need to have the sign redone to get our... You're, I was the new pastor at the time. I needed to get your name on the sign and that kind of thing. And I said, well, you know what? Let's just, let's just hold off for a bit. Just leave it the way it is. And we'll come back to that. But first, let's figure out what we might want to put on it. Who are we? Why are we here? What are we doing here as Little Fork Baptist Church? What is our purpose? Let's define that. And then maybe we'll make a sign that'll match. And so if you look at it, even today, it has as a backdrop out there, it has Christ. We're here because of Christ. In red, over the top of that, it says, Two functions, gathering to care and scattering to share. And that's because for a little bit of time we spent some time looking into the Word of God and saying, well, what is the purpose of the church? And we recognize that the church was called to do those two things. We're called to gather together and we're called to scatter about. And that we're called to gather together to build one another up, to strengthen one another. So that when we scatter out into our community, we have the strength and the know-how to be able to reach out To that community. Well, this morning, as we open the Word of God, we're going to deal with one of those subjects. And we see it uh, illustrated or modeled for us in the good example of John the Baptist. In fact, Jesus would say there's none greater than John the Baptist. As we look at it this morning, we look at the witness and the testimony of John the Baptist, our sign, and it's pretty simple. Doesn't take a lot of time thinking about it to understand what it means. You know what? That's what I see when I look at John. John is kind of the last Old Testament prophet. And look at him and see the simplicity. He really had uh, kind of his focus down on just, a, just one thing. And he wouldn't be swayed away from that, that one purpose. John was a very effective witness. And that's what we want to look at here this morning because that's one of our goals, obviously. We want to be good at building one another up as we gather together in here. We want to be good at at studying and learning the Word of God and applying it to our lives and and giving one another the encouragement and lending our strength each to the other to be able to accomplish those things in our life, to grow. But you know what? We also want to be effective when we walk out those doors. When we go out into that world that God loves and we share our faith With different people. We want to be effective in that as well. And as I look at this passage here dealing with John the Baptist this morning, I see basically three necessities of an effective witness. Now, these necessities you can find more as you go to other passages. There's a lot of things that can help us become better witnesses. These aren't helps like you would maybe often think about. A lot of times when we think about, well, uh, how can I get better at sharing my faith? We talk about maybe memorizing some Scripture. We talk about different ways of communication, how to steer a conversation, different practical things like that. This is not those. But what we see in John is something uh, that lies uh, more at the heart of the issue. It's more of uh, what you need inside to be able to work this out in a practical way. The first necessity... That we see in the life and ministry of John the Baptist, it's a sense of mission. He knew that he was on mission. John chapter 1 and verse 6, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was sent from God with that message. And he knew. That's what we need. We have a much better opportunity, much better chance of impacting the community in which we live if we recognize that we also are sent from God, that we have a, a mission that is given to us by God. In John chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, it says, He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, well, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. And so, dealing with exactly who is he? They've sent a says the Jews, at first later, it identifies him as the Pharisees, said he had sent these people to him to find out who this guy is. John the Baptist was an interesting character, a lot like Elijah in his manner of dress, the things that he ate, even just a kind of a rough, tough character. And he was a guy with a blunt message. He was standing in the middle of the Jordan River, saying, "Come out and be baptized. You need to repent of your sin, because the Messiah is coming." Are you Elijah's first question? You know, the Jewish people, even today, Orthodox Jews at the Passover feast set an extra chair at the table and that's Elijah's chair. Because Elijah's supposed to come before Christ comes or when Christ comes. That's what they're asking him. Are you Elijah? Are you the one we've been setting a chair for every year? And he says, no, I'm not. Now, there's a little bit of confusion about this. Because in Matthew chapter 11, verses 9-15, through it says, what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent taken by force for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. John the Baptist, when he's asked, are you Elijah? He says, no. Jesus would tell the people, if you will have it, he is Elijah. What's the issue? Well, it could be one of three things. One is that maybe John the Baptist himself doesn't clearly understand who he is. I don't think that's likely. But a lot of times, God's servants don't really understand who all they are in their lifetime in the way that God would use them. But that's a possibility, but I think probably one of the least likely of them. One is that Jesus is saying that John the Baptist is coming, as it does in other places, in the spirit of Elijah. And so it's not necessarily Elijah himself that would come before Christ, but it's one who would come in the spirit of Elijah instead of Elijah himself. And then there's the one, and I think I lean toward this one the most heavily. Because when you look toward the end, when Christ comes the second time when He returns, there's going to be two prophets, and those are usually understood to be Moses and Elijah. And so I think Elijah will be coming again, and he will be coming before the second coming of Christ. So then what is the deal right now? What is Jesus saying? If you will, then He is Elijah. I think what Christ is saying is that God knows that when Christ presents Himself to Israel as their Messiah, God knows He's going to be rejected. And so He didn't send Elijah, but He sent John the Baptist to do that job. If their hearts would be welcoming, if their hearts would be open to Christ, then it would have been Elijah. There's no way to know exactly which one it is. But I kind of lean toward that last part. And so it could be that maybe John is that and he doesn't really know it. I don't think so. Because you know what? John does seem to know something about himself. He does seem to know that he is that prophet sent from God. That he is that one that fulfills Malachi chapter 3 right before God starts 400 silent years. And then he's going to break the silence with John the Baptist 400 years later. In verse 23, he said, "...I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness." make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. You see, my point is this. That John was somebody with a mission from God and he knew it. He could look at that passage in Isaiah and know that's talking about me. Who am I? I'm the voice that's crying out in the wilderness. You better be ready because the Messiah is coming. That's who I am. reminds me of Esther. One moment in time where she's afraid to go before the king, but she is in a position to go before the king. And her uncle's encouraging her to go before it, and she's like, you don't just go before the king. You have to be invited, and I could die. And the uncle reminds her, you know what, it might just be for such a time as this, that that's why you're where you are. John the Baptist knew that for such a time as this, he was where he was. But you know what, for such a time as this, where does God have you? In your workplace right now, why does God have you there? In your school, why does God have you there? in your community, in your family, in your whatever context that you find yourself in, why does God have you there? You know, it could be for such a time as this. You know what? A different time, a different place. God will have somebody else there. But for right now, for where you are, you know who He has? He has you. It is your time, in your place, to be that missionary. To be that one that does the simple thing that John did is just point to Christ. John had a very specific ministry, and it was, in a sense, only his. But you know what? We also see throughout the rest of the New Testament that that ministry appointing to Christ is also ours. It's what we're called to do. He wants to do a lot more. In fact, John the Baptist is dead by the time you get to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, Many scholars think that this section of Matthew was probably the time where Jesus, after He rose again from the dead, was in front of a group of 500 people. And at any rate, He commissioned the church to go out, the church that hasn't even officially begun yet. But to go out and to share the Gospel and to reach out to people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which is the very beginning of the history book of the early church. He tells the disciples, He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's the outline of the book of Acts right there. The rest of the book of Acts just traces that growth. How did it get from Jerusalem out into Judea and then up into Samaria? Then all these mission trips going all over the world. And you just watch the spread of the gospel. But who does it? Not just the twelve. They're a big part of it, but not just them. In fact, we see in Acts chapter 8 that a great persecution breaks out. It says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So the apostles stayed in Jerusalem where the hot spot was. But everybody else said, you know what, I'm getting my family out of here. And so they began to move out into the greater part of Judea. They even began to move up into Samaria. Big cultural shift for them, right? Samaritan was kind of half Jew, half Gentile up there. They did not like the Samaritans, but they started going there. Just a couple verses later, notice what happened. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the Word. In other words, as these believers were getting persecuted for their faith, they tried to move to some safer zones to protect their families. But as they did, you know what went with them? The Gospel. Why? Because they had a mission. They had experienced... The salvation through Christ, the Jesus that died for their sins and rose again from the dead, and now they were the mouthpiece to take it to the next people. John the Baptist that gave way to Jesus, and Jesus appointed his disciples, whom he had called apostles, and then the apostles plant and establish the church, and they lead other people to Christ, and they become the next and the next. And you know that's how it got to you. That's how it got to me, because some faithful believer was faithful to the mission that God put them on of sharing their faith, and that's how we came to know. That's how the gospel has got all the way around the world now, is because people understood that they have a mission from God. Remember Matthew chapter 28, Jesus starts out with all authority is given to me, and then with that authority, he sends us into this world with the gospel. And that's why when we're studying 1 Thessalonians, In chapter 1 and verse 8, when he's patting those guys on the back, remember that, he commended them for their work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. He says in chapter 1 verse 8, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. You guys are so good about fulfilling your mission that we don't even need to share our faith in these areas because you've already done it. You've already covered that territory. In Second Timothy, the Apostle Paul is writing to young Timothy, who he would place in different churches at different times to uh, help that church to grow and to get established, and, and appoint leadership. And, and he would tell Timothy in Second Timothy chapter four, verses one and two, "I charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the Judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom." Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. I charge you in the presence of God. In other words, Timothy's got a mission. But it wasn't just Timothy's mission. In fact, two chapters earlier in chapter 2, in verse 2, it says, "...and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also." So you see, built right into the church is a whole process. Take people from within your church and train them up so that they can share it too. Because it's not just my mission, Paul's saying. It's your mission, Timothy, before God. And not only is it your mission, it's their mission. It's the whole church's mission. Everybody's to be on task. Recognizing you have a mission from God is a lot of motivation for sharing the Gospel. Back in Seattle, big area, lots of people that you're never going to meet them all. We carry gospel tracks. that would, if they read it, it would explain the gospel to them. I used to carry a lot of tracks around with me, and so uh, sometimes when they're like grocery shopping or something, I might leave one on a shelf somewhere. Maybe somebody'll find it. If I pump gas, I might curl one up and slide it in the handle of the gas pump so that somebody at least has to take it out. I remember one time I, I stepped out and I was going to pump gas, and this lady pulls up and she's on the opposite side of the pump. I thought, you know, I ought to just hand, hand her a track and wish her a nice day. And I thought, nah, she's gonna think I'm weird. I just kept pumping gas. And finally I thought, well, what, if, what if God has told me to share it? Well, that doesn't mean every time somebody's around you, you need to do this. I'm probably never going to see her again. What do I care if she thinks I'm weird? I'm standing here before God right now, and I'm kind of feeling like He's telling me to do it. So I gave it to her, and I wished her a nice day. What made me do that instead of just get back in my truck and leave? It's the concept of a mission. It's the concept of, of recognizing that Christ in His authority passed that to me, saying, I want you to do this. To that specific woman at that specific time? I don't know, but probably since it happened, right? That's supposed to be my general alpha. That's the mission. I'm here to spread the gospel. I need to share it. I need to find different ways and different people that I can share the gospel with. When you recognize you have a mission from God, it makes it a lot easier. It gives you a little more boldness, it gives you a little more focus. Keeps you directed in a better way. And that's what John the Baptist has. It starts right off. There was a man sent from God. You know what? In your place of occupation, in your home, in your, in your community, you are somebody sent from God. It's our time and our place. Well, not only is there a sense of mission, but closely related to that, there's a sense of purpose. Sense of purpose we find in verse 7. It says, He came as witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through Him. That's His purpose. Well, He had one object, one goal, and that was that people come to believe in Jesus Christ. That people repent of their sins and turn to God and get right with Him because of what Christ did for us on that cross and through His resurrection. As we mentioned before, He used the word believe 98 times through this Gospel. We will highlight once again that his purpose statement for the whole book in John chapter 20 verses 30 through 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. You know, in chapter 1, verse 31, he states it a little bit different way. He says, I myself did not know Him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that He might be revealed to Israel. He says, my my purpose is simple. My purpose is that you'd believe. My purpose is that Jesus would be presented to Israel. That's what our purpose is. One of them. One of our purposes is to edify one another, build one another up. Another one of our purposes is to go out and reach Him with the Gospel. Be that effective witness. What is our purpose? What is our goal? To bring people to faith in Christ. To let people know what Christ has done for us, what He has done for them, so that they can be saved of their sins. And you know what? It's really it's really not that hard. Sometimes it feels like it is. But it's really. I remember an evangelist talking about witnessing one time and he said, you know what? He says, witnessing is just one beggar showing another beggar where the bread is. That's all it is. If you came to Christ, you know how it's done. All you have to do is tell somebody else what happened to you. I mean, when you think about it, isn't that what a witness is? A witness is somebody that saw or experienced something that happened, and then they're explaining that to somebody else. And you know what? Right in your life are people that need to know what you experienced in Christ. Just share with them what happened to you. You'll be the window that lets the light in on this subject for them. That's what John did. He says this is this was my purpose. He came so that what? So that you'd believe. He came to proclaim it to all of Israel so that all of Israel would know about Christ. Why are we here? So that all of Little Fork will know about Christ. All of Kuchichin County will know about Christ. That's why we're here. In your place of work, in your home, in your school, all of them may know about Christ. All of them can have the opportunity to believe. You know, that's why... Peter in his first epistle in verse chapter 3 and verse 15. It says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We just need to be that faithful witness. Well, not only do we need to understand our mission, and we need to understand our purpose, have that sense of purpose. If we're going to accomplish this, we have to have a sense of selflessness. You see, one main thing about the Gospel is it's not about us. It's to bring people to Christ. It's to point to Him. It's not to lift us up. It's to lift Him up. And that's what it is. You notice all the way through this passage, John is continually doing that. He's constantly pointing to Christ. They're asking Him. They're interviewing Him. Who are you? And He's like almost doesn't want to answer it. He's like, you know what? I'm not Him. <laughs> you know who I am? I'm not Him. I'm talking about Christ. You Elijah? No the prophet nope the prophet's probably referring back to moses wrote that uh, another prophet like unto himself would arise talking about the messiah who are you i'm just a voice a voice in the wilderness john chapter 1 and verse 8 it says he was not the light but he came to bear witness about the light verse 15 he says john bore witness about him and cried out this was he Of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. That he kind of repeats that here and there. In fact, in verse thirty, he says, This is he of whom I said, After he after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. It's the one that comes after me that's important here. In verses twenty six and twenty seven says, John answered him, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy. To untie. Now, this, this is intriguing to me because it's possible that this is referring to a couple different things. Right? In one sense, when you went to somebody's house, if they were somebody who was more well-to-do or whatever, and had servants, then it would be the servant's job to meet you at the door, take your sandals off your feet, wash your feet. So, it could be that. The one that's coming after me, I'm not worthy to untie his shoe. I'm not, I'm not worthy to be his servant. And that, that fits in with, uh, the humility that we see in the rest of John's example. But I think it might be deeper. The reason is the Book of Ruth. Now, Book of Ruth would be fairly prominent on Jewish people's minds also. Remember how we talked about it during the Passover? They have a seat for Elijah, the prophet. At every Pentecost, which is one of the three major holidays for the Jewish people where they make a pilgrimage, the Jewish people would read the Book of Ruth. Now, Book of Ruth is an interesting book. It's Moabite, Descendant. Mary's Jewish man, um, her husband, her husband's brother, her husband's dad all die. And so you got two wives of the sons left and one wife of the man left. And the mother-in-law comes to him and says, you know what? You're young. I'm old. Life has treated me rough. I'm going to go back home, back toward my family. You're young. Go back to your own people. Get married. Have babies. Enjoy life. Ruth says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And so Ruth goes with her. Ruth gets there and it's like, well, how how are you going to take care of yourself, right? So Ruth does what poor people do. God had told the people that own the fields in the Law of Moses way back that any food, any grain that you harvest that gets dropped on the ground, you're not allowed to pick it up. When you harvest your field, you're not going to harvest it all the way to the edges. You're going to leave the edge. So that if you have people that are poor, they'll be sustained in that way. So that's what Ruth does. Ruth goes out into the field. They called it gleaning. She just kind of followed the cart with the workers. And whenever they, when they dropped something, she would pick it up. Well, a guy named Boaz sees her. He's the owner of the field. He asks about her and he finds out who it is. And he knows how the family's been through a very hard time. So he starts telling the guys, hey, drop a little over there. Drop a little there. And Ruth comes home with so much gleaning at the end of the day. <laughs> Then her mother in law, Naomi, looks at it and says, All right, what's going on? Something's happening here. And she tells him, I went to this guy's field. And Naomi says, Boaz, he's a relative. Now, why that's important is because of this, there's something called a kinsman redeemer. Let's say you have a, a young man and he has a, a wife and he dies, like in Ruth's case. Well, then his next younger brother, who's single, should marry her so that she doesn't become destitute and raise up a family in honor of his brother. And so God built that into taking care of people in need. If you were next in line, you were supposed to redeem them. You're supposed to redeem your brother's property, buy the property, or take the property and run it for your brother. You're supposed to redeem his his wife. You're supposed to redeem, and it's called the kinsman redeemer. But you didn't have to. But it, it was the honorable thing to do. And so what happens is Boaz... He's looking into it and he finds out that he's in line to be the kinsman redeemer, but there's somebody else in front of him. And so Boaz goes to that guy and he says, hey, there's a thing with our relative. You're now ne- I would redeem her, but uh, you're next in line. And the guy says, there's fields. And the guy says, okay, well, yeah, I'll do that. I'll take that. And he says, but there's also Ruth, which means you're going to have to raise up a family to his name, not your name. And the guy says, I don't want to do that. And so there's a legal proceeding that happens. What's supposed to happen is the guy that is going to redeem her is supposed to come up and they're going to make the arrangement. They're going to make the deal. And then to seal the deal, the one guy loosens his shoe and he takes off his shoe and he gives it to the other guy. And so it's like it's like his right to redeem whatever's left behind by the relative I'm taking off my right to do that and my responsibility to do that. So I'm ducking my responsibility. But I'm passing that to you. So now with my shoe, you have the right to do this. And so what's supposed to happen is you take off the shoe, you give it to the guy, you spit in his face. The guy that loses the shoe gets spit on, not the other way around. And from now on, that guy is known in the community as the guy with the loose shoe. What a custom. But that was what made it binding. Now, John the Baptist comes. And he says, this might be the whole reason that custom was there, that this weirdness was there to begin with. To catch your attention. Because John the Baptist comes and he says, you know what, there's somebody coming after me and I'm not worthy to untie his shoe. In other words, I think that what he may be saying is, I can't redeem what he can redeem. He's the Redeemer, not me. I think that's what he's saying. I can't do it. I can't untie his shoe. I cannot redeem the nation of Israel. I cannot redeem you from your sins. He's He's the Redeemer, but we see the humility of John the Baptist unfold. You want know, in John chapter three? What's happening here is John the Baptist had disciples that were following him. In fact, some of the same disciples that would then turn and follow Christ. But earlier on, they're they're still following John, and Jesus' ministry starts. And Jesus starts to gain disciples and He starts to have people following Him. And they say, hey, we noticed that the guy that you talked to before, he's getting a bigger ministry than you have. You know, you endorsed him and now his ministry is growing bigger than yours. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ. But I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He says, you guys don't get it. He says, my joy is fulfilled in his increasing. He says, I'm like the best man at the wedding. I'm not the bridegroom. What does the best man do? The best man stands up and gives a toast to the bridegroom and the bride. And then he sits down. He gets out of the way. And it's all about that couple. John says, that's, that's my joy. You know, if we're needing our life to be all about us, we're never going to be the effective witness that God's called us to be. Our life needs to be about Him. And when that happens, then we might find ourselves in the park with John the Baptist, whom Jesus would say, Truly I say to you, among those born of a woman... There's arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That's the commendation we're searching for. To find that kind of commendation, we've got to be an effective witness. To be an effective witness, we need to have a sense of mission. We need to have a sense of purpose, and we need to have a sense of selflessness.